It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon here with you on Quick Kicks. And today a very special guest is joining me, the president of the Edmonton Elks, Victor Quee. Victor, it is an honor to have you on our podcast. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you making the time. It's uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Well, you're the one making the time for us, and that is really appreciated. No, it's all good. This is this is uh, nothing better than getting to talk about football and the Elks and just cooler talk whenever whenever you get the chance. You know, let's let's let our listeners find out a little bit about you. Uh, where were you born? Where, where did you spend your early years? Where did life really begin its journey for you? Well, it started when my dad started flirting with my mom. How that goes, I don't know. One thing led to another. Uh, no, my parents are amazing people. They're like many Canadian stories, first immigrants to, to the country. And from their bravery of leaving the Philippines, my, my father's Chinese, my mother's Filipino, and left the Philippines to, to come here, you know, in, in the early 60s. And if you can imagine at that time, they had no idea what minus 30 was. They had no idea about Alberta or anything of Canada because there was... It's not like you could Google it in the 60s. Like they don't know what the currency is. They don't know what they're getting into. They just know that they have this opportunity to, to go to Canada. And um, that's what they did. So I'm a first, you know, first generation born Canadian. And uh, it's seldom that I meet Filipinos in Canada that were born in Canada that are older than me because my parents had moved here so, so early. Grew up here in Edmonton. And then uh, from the ages of six to 12, we lived in Africa. Uh, my father took a job there as, a, as an electrical engineer in West Africa, and we moved there. And then I came back when I was almost 13 and all the way stayed here until my university degree, did my first degree here at UVA, and then my second degree in, out in Vancouver, then my third degree out in Paris. Been traveling all around the world, spent the last 17 years living in Asia, but have had a very fortunate career in sports for 25 plus years, 28 years, and everything from Commonwealth Games, World Championships in Athletics, PGA Tour, ESPN, Golf Canada, and then in 2011, co-founded my own company uh, in mixed martial arts called One Championship. Wow, that is a big resume. Yeah, so I've been I've been lucky. I I I hustle hard and I and I work hard because. I'm not that smart and I'm not that talented. So I've got to work harder than everybody else around me. In your university, what were you studying that led you to get into the, the sports arena and develop all of these enterprises? I've always loved sports. From a young age, I dreamt of being a professional athlete, mostly in track and field. And at one point it was a, as a boxer and then track and field, then a football player. But I quickly dawned on me as I looked at my friends around me that I don't have nearly the natural talent that's required to do that as a living. And I had to, you know, had to find something else. And I think that sort of um, experience of realizing that desire was not enough, that there is even, and hard work was not enough. You had to have some talent and blend that with desire and hard work to really achieve success was a, a lesson I got early in my life that I was grateful for because it sort of 
led me to all the other things that I explored in my life and that you have to find and create opportunities where you get this right intersection of hard work, skills, and luck to create the opportunities that you want. And, you know, sometimes they all line up and sometimes they don't. I wanted to be in sports. So I, since I couldn't do it as an athlete, figured I have to figure out how to get onto the business side of things. Getting into the business side of things, you've created your own company. How difficult was that? What did you have to go through? Because that's a, that's a huge enterprise to start from the ground up. Well, absolutely. You know, I was very lucky in that when I was working at ESPN, my job was, part of my job was to find the next multi-billion dollar sport property for ESPN in Asia. So I was doing the due diligence and business analysis of every sport you could think of. Football, tennis, basketball, golf, darts, cheerleading, marching bands, like just everything. So I could tell you the business fundamentals of, of almost every major sport property in the world. And one of the opportunities that I had identified was in this world of mixed martial arts, where I could see that there was this company in North America called UFC, and it basically was non-existent in Asia. Nobody knew about them. They weren't really on television. It wasn't the brand that had made it over there. And so the logic was, well, if there is somebody doing martial arts in the world, it shouldn't be in America. It should be in Asia where that's the home of martial arts and they already understand the sport or elements of the sport. So why not try and launch that? So I launched 12 events under ESPN for the first time ever in Asia martial arts, mixed martial arts was broadcast on ESPN with these events. And that was kind of the beginning of, of that journey of, um, of creating mixed martial arts as a global sport property, a television property in Asia. When you're doing something like that, I guess relationships matter a lot because you're you're crossing cultures, borders, you have to be good with people. Yeah, I, but I, I would say that that's a trait in any line of work. Right. And most lines of work, I think you have to have the ability to, to, to get along with different people. But, yeah, there was some additional challenges. Like when we started one championship, it was in a in a room, a quarter of this. It was basically a closet and it was just me. And luckily, and our current our current chairman and CEO was the first investor. And luckily I had him who as a phenomenally successful businessman had experience raising capital and he's a martial artist. So he understood what we wanted to do. He was at the very unique bridge of business and martial arts. And I was the sport expert and the media expert and was able to bring that with an event expertise into the business. So we were really a good complement as, as business partners, but when we started the company, this sport of mixed martial arts, of MMA, was basically illegal in almost every country in Asia. So the first step wasn't even holding it. The first step was convincing governments that we should be able to hold this event. And, and was that a long process or were they amenable to it and you could sense that? Um, it was on a country by country basis because... You're dealing on everything from democracies to communist governments to military juntas, dictatorships, you know, so there's a whole range of different types of government. What, what's different in Asia is that because martial arts is at the core 
of the cultural values of Asians, because it, it was basically invented in Asia. Each country has as a very important part of their culture and a source of pride, some form of martial arts. So if it's Thailand, it's Muay Thai. If it's um, uh, Korea, it's Taekwondo, Karate in Japan, Silat in Southeast Asia. So all these different martial arts are already deeply, deeply rooted in society and fiercely protected. So on one hand, you have a wide understanding and appreciation of the values of martial arts, of what it teaches of you how to be a better human, um, teaches you the values of honor, respect, humility, hard work, dedication, integrity, all of those common traits of martial arts. So people get that. But the commercialization of the sport to the level of mixed martial arts, of bringing all the martial arts together and showcasing who is the very, very best as an athlete, and then making that entertaining television had never really been done before. Wow. Now, where were you when you learned of the opening with the Elks? What, what were you doing at the time? Well, I was still with one championship. I knew a lot of people with the, with the organization. Um, I knew some people on the board. Over the last sort of couple of years before that, the board had reached out to me in various occasions and just to ask me for my sport expertise because they knew that I was from Edmonton and I love the team and I knew some people that were on the board of directors. So they're like, well, we've got this problem. How do we figure this out? And I could see that the organization was struggling. And on top of that, there was COVID, right? So they're dealing with a level of a disaster that nobody could have ever predicted uh, as were all sport properties in the world. I had seen some of the challenges that the organization was having. And then in November, the board made the very bold decision of basically wiping out all senior leadership, all coaching staff and GM and the president and CEO. And it was a pretty dramatic move. At the end of December, you know, as they were looking, uh, they had approached me and said, is this something that I would want to consider? And I, I thought about it and I wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure at first, but I realized that I was in a very lucky position in that I had all this global expertise and learned some of the best practices of, 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 of the biggest sport properties in the world. And my Rolodex is filled with other CEOs of, of sport properties. And here I was where I had this opportunity to take all this knowledge and skill set and apply it to a team that I love. You know, the Edmonton Eskimos was my first university scholarship that I got. So it has a very important place in my heart. And not only that, but I love Edmonton. And I, I believe it's one of the best cities in the world to live. That opportunity and in line with my board with one championship and the senior leadership team had grown to another level where they were just, I mean, our team at one championship is just world-class and some of the best minds. And, and it was at, us at a stage of growth where I felt comfortable. The organization is, is so strong and ready to go on to another, another level of the business that allowed me this opportunity to, to explore this. And Chatri, uh, the current, the current chairman and president, and he's just such an amazing man and a good friend. And it was like, so supportive of him and the board of understanding where I am in this journey in my life at my age. 
I'm, I'm 50 years old. My parents are getting older. It was a chance for my family to be back together and all the grandchildren to be together. And so they, they understood that and were very supportive of it. So in that respect, I was really lucky to have my professional side of the business and my personal side kind of line up together. Once you were hired, appointed, what did you think when you first came through the door? Did you have an agenda? Did you have? A, did you want to sort of absorb what was going on? What were? You, what was your thought pattern like? I had done a lot of work before I decided to take the job. I had looked at everybody in their organization, looked at everything that I thought was was going well and the things that needed to be changed. So I had a, a fairly good sense. But when I really got in, I got to dive and look under the hood. There was a lot of challenges that the organization has. Now, on the one hand, I'm quite lucky because we finished last last season, so I can only go up from here. You know, I can't. I don't think I can do much worse. Um, so in that respect, that part is 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 pretty good. But the the football team has been so fortunate. I mean, it's it is the marquee team. It has led the league for decades as the shining example of what a world-class organization should be. And so we were very lucky that we had a strong fan base and a strong support base. And sometimes when you have that level of support, it slows down the level of innovation, as opposed to when you are scrappy or losing money and young and hungry, you have no choice but to innovate. You have no choice but to look around and take the best practices. In that way, we were kind of spoiled by our success in the past. Today, we're a different organization and we're a different time in the social fabric and the society of, of, of what relevance the team has. And so we have to find ways to make ourselves relevant again and um, engage with the community in the ways that we used to in the past. A couple of things that you've come up with. One was the $99 season ticket drive back in February, and the other was the doubleheader with the Golden Bears on October 15th. Both right. both great ideas, I think. We've been on a tear. By middle, by beginning of April, we had launched like one new initiative every 10 days, from the Edmonton Elks and Bears doubleheader, family day ticket, to the uh, post-secondary institution advisory council. We recently launched a season seat holder council where we're opening up 12 seats for um, season, season ticket holders. And we had like just under 500 applications for 12 seats. So like now we have the opposite problem where we've got to go through all of these things. Like, like I thought, quite honestly, when we put this out, I thought, ah, oh, maybe we'll get 50 or 60, you know, interested people. But uh, to get this kind of response was just um, humbling, humbling to see how many people love the team. Our season opener our, for preseason is on June 3rd. We're going to do something different this year. And we are launching and leading the community in a fundraiser for Ukraine. And we are creating a $15 ticket for any seat in the house and all the proceeds, the net proceeds will go to a fundraiser for a cause to support Ukraine. So we're really excited about this because as you know, in Edmonton, we have a massive Ukrainian community. This is an issue that is deeply rooted in the community and impacts many, many people and friends and family and neighbors. And we have this opportunity as the Edmonton Elks and the football club to unite 
the community under one cause, under one day, in one moment of celebration and fundraising in a way that nobody else in the city can. We're gonna fill the stadium with 56,000 people that are gonna to come today and just, just do a celebration and in support of uh, Ukraine. Excellent, that's a brilliant idea. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Given all of your experience in the corporate world, what do you hope to bring to the CFL, you personally? What I'd said earlier, just some of the best practices of what sport properties, of what the multi-billion dollar sport properties are doing out there. Be able to take the lessons that I learned from one championship of having started that from zero staff to where we are today. And where I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate is that I'm not an executive. Unfortunately, I, if I were to say sort of like two broad things, one is that this is not a job for me. I'm not, this is not a stepping stone because I want to become the commissioner or I want to go to the NFL. I'm doing this out of a passion and love because I love this team and I really want to see it succeed. And more importantly, I love what this team means to the community. And I want to make an impact on my neighbor, my friends, my old classmates, our city, the community. That is really important to me. But on the business side of it, I'm also very lucky because I'm not an executive that has come up to this role and I'm just like a sales guy that's moved up the sales rung or a marketing guy that's just come up with different corporate marketing positions. I've literally had the opportunity to work and build every single department of a sport property. I've worked in the media, I've done the press releases, I've done show production and run a detailed second-by-second script, I've done sponsorship sales, contract negotiation with players, uh, health and safety with the doctors, marketing, social media, digital. So I I really am so fortunate that I can look right across, across the organization. I don't have the depth of expertise that each one of our talent has in those roles because they're they're the experts in there. But I do have enough of a knowledge set and experience in that area that I can know which levers are at our disposal to pull at different times to accomplish the goals that we need. The commissioners talked a lot about best practices. You've mentioned it. How important is it going to be for the nine CFL clubs to start to share innovative ideas with each other? We already are. On our last meeting with the CFL, everybody presented their business plans. We share financials. We share best practices and the changes that we want to do. The league, uh, under, under Randy's leadership, is also driving this innovation. They know the league has to innovate. They're, they're, nobody is in the mindset of, oh, let's just do much more of the same. All the team ownership and the presidents recognize that Let's keep on reinventing ourselves and and grow our fan base. So I think that mindset is important and we are on that track. Now, every team has the ability to innovate at different paces. You know, some have a steep learning curve, some have got to go a little bit more gradual. And that's because the, the complexity of this league has three different types of ownership. So it's not a ubiquitous 
type of ownership structure that makes it easy for decisions to, to happen and, and changes to happen quickly. But I think really we're on the right track. One of the things that has come out is genius sports. What is your sense of genius and what do you expect them to bring to the table? Well, Genius Sports is one of the industry-leading um, businesses out there when it comes to this space. So they're a fantastic partner to have. And quite frankly, this is the kind of partnership that maybe without COVID would have happened two years ago or three years ago. As it is what it is and the timing is what it is, right? I know Genius Sports very well and their leadership team. That's an area that is well within my wheelhouse that I'm that I'm comfortable with. They are definitely a step in the right direction for what the league needs to do and where sport is going in the world. Sport is going towards sport betting. It is opening up to prop bets. It is opening up to new levels of data analysis that is available to fans. That's just the direction that we that we need to go if we want to survive. Is the temperature of the room optimistic? Are, are people feeling that, yes, we are starting to turn things around? I think right now people are looking forward to a full season. You know, we've come off of a council season, then a shortened season, and two years of that kind of tumultuous times is really, really a long time. It's a long time to go for staff, for the community. So right now, I just, my interpretation is there's just a sense of we're grateful for where we are today. You know, we, in the past, we just year after year just comes and we don't have to really think about it. And now you're like, wow, Let's appreciate how amazing it is to get 56,000 people together to celebrate because we've been dealing with 24 months while we can't even see our, our relatives. It's the first time in three years that there's going to be a training camp in the spring. That's right. That's right. How excited are you for all of this? Oh, you're, you're in a new job. It's really exciting. We got the first draft pick on May 3rd and Coach Coach Jones is just amazing. We've got... Uh, G. Roy Simon and our assistant GM. We've got uh, McAdoo as our assistant head coach, like just world-class people that are, are building, rebuilding this team. And it's we're, we're ready to come out of the gates. I know you're on Twitter. Where can people find and follow you on social platforms? Well, on all of them, I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I think I probably, I'm lucky that I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I probably have about 50,000 followers there. I'm on, on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, on Facebook as well. So I also have, I'm on Discord if you want to add me and uh, and Twitch. So anything there. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was just wonderful to meet you. Well, it's great, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm excited about, about uh, the season. So thank you. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.